Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to a special live broadcast from a band who first hit the airwaves back in 2006. The track is called Sea Within a Sea. The band are the horrors. Hey guys, and welcome to a new winter. Um, yeah, we've been mixing up a bit more recently, not just uh, doing scary stories, but now we're doing other types of content, including uh, films and uh, episodes like this, where we talk about music and we take albums that we like or that you guys like, because you can you know, have a say as well, um, and we discuss them at length. And so joining me on this episode is Dan. Hi, Dan. Hey, how's it going? Uh, yeah, good. So me and Dan have known each other since we were like five, I'd say, and uh, our love of music is almost as strong as our love for each other. <laughs> Forged in blood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so Dan, uh, tell us a little bit about um, yourself and what you're doing at the moment. Um, well, yeah, as you know, like we got into music together, so really it was kind of like a lot of uh, 90s alternative rock and indie rock and a bit of punk. Um so that's kind of like where my heart is, but I also listen to just like a ton of music. And they always say like when you hit 30 that you kind of, your tastes are set in stone. Um, but I'd say mine have just gone kind of like broader and broader and broader. I speak a lot on, you know, I'm active on Instagram um, and I just post records and thoughts about them. Um, so there's, yeah, there's a lot of like post-punk, some like crappy 80s pop i'm quite partial to um i'm getting more into like Afrobeat and funk and i just inherited a big box of um like classic jazz records so yeah if you're interested in just like a broad music discussion and especially kind of a discussion about the specifics of vinyl pressings and their jackets and things like that 
um, check out my dreadful discs Instagram account because that's where it's all going on. Yeah, definitely uh, go check it out. So the, the thing that kind of inspired um, this episode was that um, I, well, I initially bought tickets for my, me and my other half to see the horrors performing primary colours um, at the Royal Albert Hall uh, where they play the whole album in its entirety um but she couldn't go and so me and dan went instead and dan hadn't actually heard this album before um so what was your first thoughts when you actually listened to the album for the first time and then at the gig um yeah when i listened to the album for the first time i was really pleasantly surprised because i think i'd really misconstrued who this band were and what they were about um when you actually said you know i've got tickets for the horrors i thought what the fuck is this guy on about are they that crappy like noughties horror pop band um no. naughty <laughs> i think like the horror i don't know something about that name the horrors um and even now i think it doesn't quite mesh with the with the sound um i think i had like my chemical romance in mind or something like that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan, I have to say. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I listened to the album, like, twice uh, before the gig, um, and I was surprised at kind of um, the depth, the richness, and kind of like how, yeah, like, kraut-rocky and post-punky it was. I was expecting something, like, super poppy, really. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, when we went to see them live, um, did that change, or did it... Yeah, it was even it was even better. Um, I mean, it's cool just being in the Royal Albert Hall. I mean, before we even get to the music, I think what people really want to know about is the seating. Um, so, I mean, that was just a pleasure in itself, just yeah. to get a chance to sit down at a gig. I, I feel like I've earned it. <laughs> yeah, our age. It's yeah. uh, especially because we were really close to the front as well. They're really good seats. They're very good. They um, they they, they uh, pivot, don't they, and swivel. So yeah, very, so it makes yeah, you f- facing the stage. And before yeah. um, before the band came on, actually, I mean, do we want to talk about the the uh, support act, Giant well, Swan? Oh, that was their name. Well, yeah, that was what like half an hour of just a noise. Half an hour. It felt like it went on for hours. Yeah, it might be the worst yeah. thing I've ever seen, and I've seen uh, a man die. <laughs> <laughs> Because you killed him. <laughs> it wasn't me. I just happened to be there at the time. Um, yeah, Giant Swan. I mean, the sound was giant, wasn't it? Although they weren't. They were like two kind of skinny Chaps. little guys hopping around and pulling wires out and popping them back in again. And uh, They were definitely enjoying it more than anyone else. <laughs> I know. Royal Albert, he's going to be turning in his grave if he knows that was going on. Yeah, he will be. Uh, well, yeah. Luckily, we didn't have to we didn't have to put up with it for long. But um, yeah, when when horrors came out, I mean, they looked exactly the same as they feel like they've always have. They don't haven't seemed to age. Um, and actually, sound wise, if you remember, it wasn't um, the first few tracks weren't great. This kind of acoustics, even though they were out, who was great for that kind of thing. Um, yeah, they were a little bit off. Uh, it didn't sound right until, yeah, about halfway through the gig. Yeah, it was a bit um, muddy, and I think that's often a, um, a pitfall of playing a venue like that. With You know, it's so big, and it's like the roundhouse yeah. in a way. I often find that 
sounds a bit muddy, but it did settle down. Yeah, I, I remember specifically like when they played Who Can Say, that, you know, which is like the main hook, the organ just got completely lost in the noise of, you know, the wall of sound. Um, yeah, shame. but it was, yeah, it was a bit of a shame. But as a performance, it was it was great. They did, it was really cool. And especially to hear the whole album, you know, in full, I really do enjoy that kind of thing. Because um, it means you get to listen, obviously, to like the smaller tracks, which they don't normally play. Yeah, because um, I imagine a lot of that is still in their set list. Not as much. I mean, they've had like three or four albums now, haven't they, since since then. So, yeah, you don't really hear much of the stuff from uh, Primary Colours these days. So a lot of it was a real dusting off and like a, a treat for the fans. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I enjoyed the, um, you know, like, I did enjoy like the spectacle of the show as well. Um, I think I find... Like the more gigs I go to, um, you know, I stand there and I think, oh, I know these songs like the back of my hand, and uh, there's nothing much going on. But that was really cool. It's like <laughs> it's going to sound really, really sad, but I really like the lighting. <laughs> um, there's a lot of cool stuff going on, like smoke and lasers and all this kind of thing, which sounds yeah. a bit naff, but especially like in the space of the Royal Albert Hall, because they were bouncing off of like all the back of the hall and the roof and um, the architecture it, yeah it really it really like, added a lot of atmosphere to that music it was very um you know it was, like epic and opulent yeah it was good it was um you know and when they came back to do their encore they did uh sheena is a parasite and uh county fives which is from the first album which is you know nice to hear i haven't had those in a while and then they did a, a lot more of their newer stuff like uh, machine which is off the latest album which is a good one something to remember me by um, and a couple of others so they gave like almost another entire set's worth after you know after they played the album um, it was a really good gig so I really enjoyed it yeah me too it was really cool it was a really good you know like introduction for me to the band so um, thank you and thank you to Mrs Sam <laughs> <laughs> it's just me in a wig <laughs> she doesn't exist <laughs> oh she couldn't make it today um <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's why when you come over, it's like that scene in Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> Put my head full of cream. Oh, hello, dear. <laughs> That's better than I thought you were going to say. It's like that scene from Psycho. <laughs> anyway, should we get off this track and um, get into the album? Well, it's interesting because I um, they got a lot of flack because they were enemy cover stars before they'd even had an album out. And, yeah. Um, yeah, people didn't, you know, appreciate that so much. And I always remember, um, so I got into the horrors. And I, I can't remember if it was the Counting Five single, but it was something that was, it was whatever it was that came out just before the album, uh, Strange House, came out. Um, and I loved it because it was quite punky. Uh, it's very quite 60s, garagey rock kind of sound. And, um, yeah, and I thought, oh, this is, this is great. This is kind of what I want to listen to at this moment in time. Um, and it was, it felt a little bit stylized, you know, that big hair, lots of makeup, slightly goth looking. They definitely had a style and they really pushed it in that direction. And it, for some people, it kind of overshadowed the music 
a bit because they just felt that it was all like pomp really um and there wasn't really much substance to it but when the when strange house actually came out i thought it was really good um i mean i i still think it's really good i still listen to songs off it now and they did play a couple of the tracks when when we went to see them um in the encore um and yeah so i think what makes this album quite different is that it's such a drastic change in sound from that album to this second album and with it there was that change of style as well they started you know they had haircuts and everything was a bit more you know proper um but yeah it was at the time you know the big hair and obviously you know remember what i was kind of going going for during during that time was very very similar um skinny black jeans and big hair and all black uh so yeah that kind of fit that mold quite well um I think you're always going to get that when you see a band that like quite suddenly changes up its um, style, especially it's like you know it's visual aesthetic. Um, you're always going to have those accusations thrown at the band, and it's going to, to a degree, overshadow some of the the music for some people. Yeah, there was also I remember during the time I was working on the IT crowd, um, and I was I was hanging out with Noel Noel Fielding, who was part of Mighty Boosh, but he was also an IT crowd. Um, and it was series three, I think I worked on. And during rehearsals, this is it's, it didn't feel weird at the time, but looking back at it, it's actually quite quite strange. He was doodling, <laughs> he was doodling pictures of the horrors. So he was doodling like Ferris, basically the singer. Um, and they were good doodles, but and then doing like a kind of horrors kind of logo in the similar style as. Um, you know, the thing, John Carpenter's the thing, that uh, kind of like scratchy kind of looking font. Yeah. Um, and anyway, I, was, I remember talking to him about the horrors and stuff and he was like, oh yeah, they're really, really cool. And he was hanging out with like Towers of London, if you remember them. And Oh was, God, yeah. Yeah, so he was kind of part of that whole, like it's the classic thing where like comedians want to be rock stars, right? So he was hanging around with people like that. And I don't know if you remember, but they actually starred in an episode of Mighty Boosh um, no. yeah check it out because it's really cringe like okay. and i think if i remember rightly like the storyline for that episode is that noel's character who i can't remember his name is trying to get into like the skinniest skinny black jeans ever they're almost like too small and he's like i can't do it and they're like you can do it man you can do it but they're clearly like obviously they're not actors but they're kind of playing up to that kind of like droll kind of like rock and roll blur thing it's really strange but um yeah so you saw that and you thought yeah i thought (laughs) that parody that's the look i want to yeah well no it was weird because it was like well that happened afterwards but the tv show but the things that were weird was one doodling a band when you're essentially a 35 year old man (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean it's a bit bit strange anyway on a sketchbook yeah, it's just a bit weird. Heart. Like, why are you do? Why are you doodling, like a band? Like, why are you doodling the band? But because obviously he likes that whole aesthetic. Um, and for people that don't know as well, the most since the Mighty Boosh, the most famous thing he's done now is Great British Bake Off, <laughs> <laughs> which is weird. He's like found a whole new audience, which is more in line with his age. Um, that's horrible. I shouldn't say that, but um, <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, yeah uh that was weird and also but i was very much like oh you like the horrors that's cool thinking i have something to like talk about or whatever um but it's like if he's friends with them as well doesn't that makes it even weirder do you know what i mean it's like like, 
it's like when I spend all my time at work drawing pictures of you and Rich. Um, and I, I have been called up on it, actually. I've been... Um, I had to have a chat with HR. Yeah. Uh, it, it does take up a considerable amount of my time. Dan, you've been through, like... You've been through ten reels of printer paper. <laughs> we can't... <laughs> the stationery order's gone through the roof. I can't uh, help it if I've got these great designs for, like, your, your appearance on stage, you know. <laughs> It's not my fault. <laughs> you won't. You won't accept any of them. I'm just picturing Richard's one. Is just like a circle with two eyes, just an egg. <laughs> because he's bald. For people that don't know who we're talking about, sales bandmate yeah. Rich Rich Keeble. Um, it's funny to laugh about baldness. Yeah, he he'd find it funny. I'm sure as well. Kind of. Um, so yeah. So just to give you, for people who don't know, the Horrors are a British band just give you a bit of background about them so they were formed funny enough in south south end which is near where i live now i probably shouldn't say that in case anybody comes to try and find me <laughs> just walking around south end sam um yeah they're formed in south end 2005 uh, and the members are faris badwan who's the singer uh joshua howard tom cohen uh, i think he changed his name to tom first at some point reese webb and joe spurgeon they they are the horrors um and so essentially they basically formed by hanging out at what was called the Junk Club, which was beneath the Royal Hotel, um, where now there's a swanky bar. And funny enough, me and my wife um, sometimes go there to like, you know, celebrate an anniversary or something like that. And they do like really nice cocktails and stuff. So it's really weird that like they formed in the, you know, the basement of that building, essentially. Um, and apparently, yeah, the first song they, they rehearsed was the Sonics, The Witch, uh, which is like a 60s garage song, which when you hear, um, it's pretty, pretty obvious it's the horrors, uh, which I'll, I'll play you a bit now. I didn't know they were fans of uh, the Sonics because obviously, like I said, from the gig and from listening to this album, I got a lot of the kind of 80s, like I said, that shoegazy, dreamy, hazy stuff, um, but not a lot of that garage rock influence. I didn't pick up on that, but um, I love the Sonics. Yeah, it's very um, much their, their first album sound was very much in that vein, but like with a modern edge, which is what made it so, you know, appealing and interesting yeah and what's cool about the sonics is that they were kind of one of the first you know proto punk and especially then proto grunge bands um they were instrumental it's often been said in kind of forming the um sort of groundwork for there to be that scene in seattle oh, really? decades later yeah yeah a lot of them said they're influenced by like their just their overall like attitudes but also like specifics of guitar tone and sound um yeah really influential really cool exciting band so quite interested to know that the horrors was so you know so so directly influenced by them yeah i mean and that was that that was kind of going on in this south end scene at that time um was yeah that basically like listening to those type of bands and 60s type of bands and that's why 
you know, when people were saying about picking them up on like uh, skinny back jeans and all this certain look, they were like, that's what all them and their mates were doing. That was like the look that you had being part of this scene. And basically they just carried it across the country and it became more of a thing. But um, yeah, but they're, they're uh, yeah, they're, I think, is it um, Have Love Will Travel? Is that the Sonics as well? Oh, I wouldn't like to go on record and say yes. Um, I can't remember now. I, I think it is. Um, but yeah, they also covered uh, Screaming Lord Such's Jack the Ripper, uh, ah. which people uh, would know who are Horace fans. You know, it was, was also on um, Strange House, the Horace first album. The Ripper, Jack the Ripper. There's a man walking the streets of London late at night. Um, so yeah, so they were kind of playing around with uh, that and that was their first rehearsal. So it's quite interesting. Um, yeah, so the, uh, the album itself, um, it was nominated for the Mercury Music Award that year. Uh, it got Enemies Album of the Year, 2009. Um, and it got to number 25 in the UK charts, which is pretty good to be honest for, for the horrors, especially during, during that time. Um, and yeah, so apparently like whilst they were recording it, it was very much like a kind of party, party atmosphere. Um, and they walked, they walked in with about 40 songs ready to go. And they, they found 12 that kind of sat well together, but yeah, they'd kind of record during the week, um, in Bath, I believe, and then come back to like party in London at the weekend. Um, and yeah, it kind of got them in this weird like mindset, apparently. Um, and then, yeah, so that they uh, also what happened during the recording process is um, the bassist, uh, bassist basically picked up the synths and the organ player Reese um, picked up the bass. And he's been the bass player ever since, which is quite strange ah. in itself. And just that one session, um, I believe they uh, they wrote Mirror's Edge and Do You Remember with Reese on his first day of bass and they just kept kept going. It's really strange. Um, I believe Three Decades was the first single they kind of wrote um, from the album. Um, but yeah, they played Universal some of those tracks and <laughs> they were then quickly dropped from the label, um, being told. Yeah, so they, they didn't like it. And uh, yeah, they were told that basically none of these are like hit singles and they played a gig at the Astoria um, after, just after they got dropped. I don't even think they were without a label for like two weeks. Cause the guy, um, a guy from Excel records basically signed them up and said, whatever you're doing, I don't care. Like, I don't need to listen to it. You can, you, you know, you can release it. Um, so yeah, it's quite interesting that universal, you know, dumped them <laughs> Yeah, after hearing that album. It's quite interesting as well that XL picked them up because I imagine that was around the sort of time that they were starting to uh, like diversify their their roster. Yeah. Um, I think, when did Radiohead start working with them? That was like a big, felt to me, that was when I noticed a sort of seismic shift away from just kind of like dance and yeah, stuff and rave and all that. Yeah. Um, so they must have been one of the kind of like earliest kind of like more more rock bands that they picked up. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, but I don't know what what um, yeah, don't know what year Radiohead signed up with them, but um, I think it was like around in Rainbows, which was what two thousand and eight, yeah, two thousand seven, seven. Yeah, I think it probably was. Yeah, I imagine the other the other link maybe 
um, might have been because they were working with Jeff Barrow. Yeah, so Jeff Barrow was one of the uh, producers. Yeah, yeah, tell us a little bit about, you know, I I know he's like part of Portishead, um, but yeah, what what do you know about him? Um, Well, we saw him last year, didn't we? Because um, since Portishead, he's gone on to form uh, Beak, who are a bit of a favourite of mine. Um, I saw them quite a long time ago now, just like when I was was really, really drunk at um, All Tomorrow's Parties. Yeah. And I also had some sort of weird ear thing going on. Um, internally. So I, just, or I walked into this room. Externally. Sorry. <laughs> I, walked, I walked into this room and just like my whole head was spinning. And there was just this weird, great big, like droney ambient, kraut rocky noise. Um, and that's essentially what Beak kind of do. But um, it's not quite as fuzzy as it was on that night. Um, but yeah, he's got um, his own record label and they're very much like stalwarts of the kind of like Bristol and Bath scene. Um, right. So I imagine that's what they were doing in Bath. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that was, um, I enjoyed that uh, uh, gig by Beak. I wouldn't say it was, I don't remember any of the songs, if you know what I mean. <laughs> There's nothing like specifically memorable, but um, yeah, that was, that was quite, um, it's quite well, interesting. Well, it was overshadowed, wasn't it, by one more memorable moment. <laughs> so, <laughs> so as I'm waiting, as I'm waiting for Dan outside, where was it? I can't remember where it was now. Was it Kentish Town Forum? Yeah. Um, and I'm waiting outside the venue, and you know, for people who don't know, it's like it's on a main road. So yeah, so I'm leaning up against this metal bar, metal fence, and this guy comes up and goes, "Oh, you know, who's playing? He's playing tonight." And I was like, oh, the OCs. And uh, he's like, I don't know who they are. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, you might like them. Having a conversation with him, whatever. And he starts telling me about how he's um, been brought up around the corner and all this. And basically I started getting that vibe that I was like, oh, he's hitting on me. (laughs) I see. And, um, yeah, and weren't you trying to... You could kind of see it happening from down the road or something. Yeah, as I was approaching the venue, I was like, oh, who's that he's talking to? The weirdest-looking guy that you could, like, <laughs> imagine. It's like, of course he's talking to him. <laughs> but what's great as well is he's on the main road. He's just pulled up. To, you know what I mean? It's not like... It's it's not as if I, he's on the pavement or anything. He's just pulled up to the side of the main road just to keep keep chatting to me and even when oh, yeah. you you came over um he was still like talking he still kind of wanted to keep us <laughs> keep, keep us you there. Keep not you. me he only had eyes for you he had no concern for the traffic for his own <laughs> physical welfare he was on a one track mission he really was yeah uh, but he kept telling me he kept telling me where he lives <laughs> um did you really see him again have... No, thank um, God. Apart from when I went to his house late that night, um, <laughs> no, but it was really strange. It just it really didn't click with me until like you know about halfway through, and I could see you calling, and I was just thinking, oh, it's too rude to answer the phone. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was trying to help you out. I was like, I'll I call him so he's got an excuse to wander off and answer the phone. <laughs> just that posh, like not posh, but it's like that British way of being like, oh, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to appear rude, <laughs> do I? Um, I did notice yeah, that as he rode off as well, um, he, ha- he had removed his saddle. Oh, God. 
could enjoy the journey home. <laughs> he had one of those, you know, when Mr. <laughs> Mr. Garrison in South Park has that bike and it's like... <laughs> It's like a dildo up his ass and he <laughs> controls it with his mouth. <laughs> Whatever it is, just pitching him riding away, riding away in one of those. He was also like 60 years old, I said, I forget to mention this. He's <laughs> really old. Um, and also I kept saying about, you know, my wife and kids and all this stuff. I didn't care. Could not give a shit. Oh, God, it was, yeah... Horrible, um, but yeah, that's that's quite that's quite funny. That was, yeah. Um, and then it, I mean, gig. to be fair, then I turned up and started talking to you about my bins. So <laughs> you're probably <laughs> yeah. thinking, "Fucking hell, bring him back, <laughs> bring him back." Yeah. <laughs> I might be interested. I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try anything. Uh, um, yeah. Oh man. So um, uh, yeah, Jeff so Barrow. Yes. Yeah, so come. Oh yeah, I was, was going to say I was interested to know. This whole like sound and like you say like them swipping, uh, swipping, <laughs> swapping instruments. Was that all part of? Did they want to develop that sound? So they worked with Jeff Barrow, or did they happen to like start working with him? And he was like, "I'm going to change your sound." Well, apparently he. Um, I don't. I can't remember how they initially hooked up with him. I think he. I think they just chose him. I might. I might be making that up. But he was very much, they were talking about, you know, producing this certain sound and doing this and that and the other. And he was very much, no, you just want to, you want to keep it to how you've done your demos. Like, don't overthink it. Um, he was very much like, this is the sound that you want to recreate the rest of the album. Like, um, and that's what they did. So, yeah, he was, he was very, um, so, yeah, when there's that thing of like, uh, a lot, well, a lot of people criticise the horrors by saying that, yeah, Jeff Barrow constructed that sound, um, and he's—I think I believe—he's quite vocal in saying that, you know, he didn't. If anything, he was trying to, you know, get them back to the sound that they had already established in the demos for the for the album. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, the other guy who's um, listed on Discogs, where I'm looking at the moment, as a producer, is Chris Cunningham. Yeah, so Chris Cunningham, uh, if people don't know, is a music video director. Um, and, yeah, he's, he's probably best known for the Aphex Twin video, Window Liquor, which is probably one of my favourite music videos. It's also one of my favourite songs, actually, really, of, of all time. I love that song. Um, and, yeah, but he's, he's done tons more than that. He's done lots of Bjork and whatever. Come to um, Daddy. Yeah, Come to Daddy as well, yeah, the Aphex Twin uh, music video song. Bloody hell. Yeah, so... That video, Chris, eh? Yeah, that's great. I love that video. I might watch it again actually after this. Uh, I I'll put a lot of these links that we talk about in the in the show notes as well. Um so you know you guys can click through and watch it um if you need to. Um but yeah, he I believe he did uh, a couple of songs off the album um and helped produce them. Uh but yeah, he actually came out of a 6-year hiatus. How do you say it? It's hiatus, right? Hiatus. 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 Um, oh, it's one of those words that I I never really say, but I always read a lot. Um, and he came out of this a six-year gap, let's say, uh, to do the horrors music video Sheena is a Parasite, um, which has uh, Samantha Morton in it, funny enough, um, from the first album. So obviously they'd made a bit of an impression on each other. And yeah, so Chris Cunningham actually yeah did, did produce a couple of the tracks. Um, and also it was mixed by a guy called Craig Sylvie, 
who'd done a lot of mixing for British bands like The Coral, Kasabian. He actually did Eagles as well. He's a band that um, we... Do you like them as well? Have we spoken yeah, about yeah, I thought um, they were really cool when they came out. They up. were, yeah. That first album was great. Second album, not so much. Um, in my opinion. Uh, so, yeah, so that, that was um, who made who made the album, uh, essentially. Um, yeah, and it was recorded in Bath in, in 2008. Um, and yeah, so I think for fans of the horrors, it was actually a surprise. You know, people weren't really expecting them to go in this direction. You know, they're usually um, bold and brash, but here they're doing something that's, you know, completely uh, different. Uh, it also showed that they weren't just just hype, which is a lot of shtick they got at the time and, you know, all style, no substance that we said before. Um, but that, you know, people liked strange house that had some punky songs. No one really thought it would last, you know, it wasn't like a hit after hit kind of album. Um, and yet, yeah, there was like, before the album came out, people, a lot of the music industry buzz that was going around was like, you know, man, they've really knocked it out of the park with this album. It's amazing. Um, you know, and you think about other, other albums that were coming out that year, uh, the XX had just released their first album, um, which I loved. Wild Beasts released Two Dancers, which is probably one of my favourite albums of all time. Uh, yeah, Yeah, Yeah's released Zero, for what that's worth. Dizzy Rascal had just released Bonkers, <laughs> which remained um, on TV and every advert or whatever for years to come in England anyway. Quite rightly. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, LaRue, uh, who's known as the daughter of that one of the bill, um, she- <laughs> she and was like ginger and sang really high and had a side parting um she came and went uh for in for the kill if you remember that everyone was like oh just a one-hit wonder she was like i'm not a one-hit wonder and she was a one-hit wonder <laughs> what, what a surprise so that was that was kind of going on so there was um it was a weird time where it's like you know, having great songs, not that the is an example of a great song, but it was just a reminder of the time, really. But, um, you know, having, like, decent albums was starting to get a bit more rare, I think, anyway, in terms of, like, a mainstream NME-style, you know, um, list of albums or whatever. Yeah, that list of bands that you just rattled off, I was kind of aware of them at the time, but... Actually, that whole thing seems to have completely passed me by. But I can't for the life of me remember what I was listening to in 2009. I'm actually just trawling through my Facebook account now to even see what the hell I was doing in 2009. <laughs> I seem to skip from 2008 to 2010, so it's a bit of a lost year for me. <laughs> well, you weren't listening to music. <laughs> I was probably it's just, either. yeah, sealed in a vacuum somewhere, um, experiencing absolutely little as possible just uh in a sort of void yeah um yeah well i think what was also like what made what kind of got people starting to think about horrors differently is that they clearly like love their music and that might not have come through so much on the first album um but yeah they wear some of their influences like quite clearly on their sleeve uh and the and one of the things when you read the interviews with them at the time is that there's not a sense of like essentially copying a sound. It's, it feels more like a natural evolution that these guys are understanding more like what's behind the music rather than kind of parodying um, a certain type of sound. Cause I think they got, people were saying, Oh, it's just like 
it sounds like uh, can or whatever, and mm. um, and or new N E U with mm. an apostrophe mark. Um, especially, I think they've got a song called Hello Gallo, which uh, people said, "Oh, it's just Hello Gallo." Um, which I'll play a couple of those bits now. Yeah, they actually weren't even aware of those guys, uh, which you know is way in a way is quite refreshing, I guess. So because they'd had a, they had felt like they had naturally found a sound which might not be new to the music industry or whatever, but it was new to them, and that was kind of what was getting them excited, which I think kind of you know comes through. Um, and during the time, they were also reading uh, the book "Rip It Up and Start Again." Uh, which is like a post-punk study by Simon Reynolds, and it's being yeah being passed around the band, and was apparently highly influential to when they were making the album. Um, Good book, that. Th- yeah, I haven't read it. Have you read it? Got a copy here. Yeah, it's um, it's great. Yeah, the total force of the whole that yeah post-punk scene, all the all the big bands. Right, I have to I have to read it because yeah, it apparently made made quite the impression on these guys. Um, the sleeve if you haven't seen the sleeve it's basically a blurry shot of the band it's quite simple Um, and yeah it's one of those things where on the CD case the title of the you know the horrors primary colours whatever is actually a sticker on the front of the jewel case um, rather than on the actual artwork as such Um, I always wonder about that it's weird isn't it like what does that what happens with that like what's is that part of the artwork is it not exactly (laughs) Um, I think it's like born out of the old kind of jackets from the 70s, especially like, you know, a lot of prog where the artists were taking back more control. Um, right. And they could say, basically, we want like an artistic statement and we don't want any kind of like um, advertising. So we don't want our name on it or anything. We just want this like bold image and really respect the designer. And um, it feels like at some point... You know, record companies still, they made a concession to bands like The Horrors by saying, look, we need your name on it, but we'll we'll let you keep the artwork, but we're going to slap a big fat sticker on it. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's weird. The the actual album cover itself is one of those classic things that, you know, doesn't say anything. You know, it's it's just an image and the fact that it's blurry, you can't make anyone out or who's in the band or what they look like. It's quite interesting, but I think it also gives that, that, it's also quite representative of that of the sound of it being like distorted and fuzzy and all this stuff um that's it if you had the name of the band or the um title as part of the actual artwork it would really undermine i think the effect that they're going for which is why you've probably got this compromise then because you know if you're a marketing guy at xl records you think oh my fucking christ i've got to get the horrors on it somewhere Yeah. yeah It's an obvious statement to how they've ditched the style and they don't want to be seen for the style, but seen more for the more for the music. Um, and yeah, well, apparently it was a Polaroid that was taken by accident during a photography session. And yeah, I think it kind of works works really nicely. Um, and yeah, whilst they were like, you know, when they were playing live, when they first um, 
played the album or songs off the album live. Apparently it didn't, uh, it went down well, but the band were like not that excited by it because they just felt like it's a bunch of like industry peeps standing there with their arms folded. Um, uh, which, you know, is quite understandable. And they actually, you know, they kind of stopped playing songs from strange house to this day, really, they play it, might play it in an encore, like when we saw them, but yeah, because it doesn't fit their new sound, they kind of started slowly distancing themselves from those, from those tracks. Um, yeah. And it was actually, they were kind of keeping up with technology a little bit by this point as well. Um, because they they felt that C within a C was actually the highlight for them of their uh, of the whole album. They actually released that first, um, and you could it was on a as, a as a music video, but also it's a digital download on their website. Um, and yeah, so that that was kind of like the first release as such, and a lot of people you know went crazy just for just for that song and it's a great song as well um and the actual video of it was directed by the jesus and mary chain bassist funny enough douglas hart <laughs> that's your man Come on, that you're talking about there. <laughs> you've won yes douglas hart um yeah and it's a really good video as well i'll put a link in the show notes and uh, yeah you guys should check it out um so yeah so let's go into the actual album so the first track of the album uh, is called mirror's image um so let's let's play a bit of that now so yeah the song begins with these textures it reminds me a bit of the lost in translation soundtrack actually which is kevin shields who is part of um, my bloody valentine anyway which is going to be a band that i'll kind of bring up quite often during the course of this um and they use those gongs um but they've they've used it as like a beat and you know you can hear them turning the volume up and down it so they're just immediately creating this kind of soundscape um and then you'll hear slowly what sounds like a guitar effect um that's looped comes in alongside the bass and this is kind of what they played around with a lot during the recording of this album is you know guitar effects using effect pedals and trying to get different sounds and stuff like that out uh and so yeah so they start creating creating the melody um and it's just a really great intro to the whole album they have that it's kind of a good summation of the entirety of how they've put together the album um and its different parts uh, just through this one song um so they have that bass line that comes in as the first actual melody you're hearing um that really strong and it really hooks you in and that's kind of a running theme throughout all these songs is the really strong melodic catchy bass lines that the kind of guitars and everything else swirls around and um, what did you think the first time you had had this song like the very first track of the album i thought it sounded a lot like our band and I thought, this is going to be very revealing. <laughs> you mean, um, I've forgotten the t- last Great Depression. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that, that tune that we often perform at the top of our show. Yes. And uh, opened our first EP. That's true. I'll put so, a link to that in the show, in the show notes yeah. so people can <laughs> judge for themselves whether it was, you know, it's copyright infringement there. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, basically, as this album uh, continues, am I just going to see the whole of our... 
band's uh, catalogue unfurl before my very ears. Yeah, that's not far off, like, <laughs> yeah, to be honest. Um, um, but yeah, I, you know, I agree with everything he just kind of says, and it, it's got that classic kind of, um, you know, building up, building up, building up, really nice way just to sort of ease the listener's ears into an album with where there's going to be you can anticipate there's going to be a lot of layering of really interesting sounds and textures and um it just kind of gets you pumped for what's to come yeah really good yeah it's very good at creating this world it's one of those albums which um you know if you turned all the lights off and stuck it on you're like you're in like it really really sucks you in quite quickly um and just the way it deals like every aspect of it so like in terms of the drums here, it's, it's got a very it starts off with that very subtle kick that goes on. It sounds like it might be like an you know an eight oh eight or something similar um, when you listen to it, but then it starts slowly merging with like an actual kick from a from a sound kit, um, and they kind of play with that a little bit as well of like these electronic sounds mixing with you know analog sounds, essentially like real sounds, um, and then yeah, that first that snare roll when that snare roll hits comes in. And alongside it, that sweeping guitar. I mean, they make full use of like the stereo um, sound, as it were. Like, you know, all these things like feels like waves and like, you know, sea within a sea, essentially. And and funnily enough, like waves and water and the sea is like a common motif um, throughout the album in terms of like lyrically as well. And, and literally you're seeing it here in a sonic way um, because, yeah, you just feel like you're immersed in this like, the waves of of guitars and sounds that are kind of coming at you. And yeah, it's kind of one of the key sounds from the album, really, is that shoegazy guitar. Again, it's in the style of My Bloody Valentine, which for people who don't know, it's usually like a mix of uh, distortion, obviously, um, delay and reverb pedals that kind of give it this weird dynamic. Um, I mean, I've actually, I've got like a, and what I use for Last Great Depression, which we, we talked about, I've got this uh, Memory Man pedal, um, which has like a reverse delay and you can play with the feedback sound that you get off it, which gives you this really cool sweeping guitar effect that kind of, you know, feeds back on itself and then feeds itself again and kind of, you know, encapsulates that sound. Um, and it's really interesting. So, you know, the, from a, a guitar effect, because I, I quite like my guitar effects, um, even though you probably wouldn't think it, seeing as I've just, it's just usually a combination of distortion pedals in my <laughs> <laughs> my music but um i do you know do quite like it and uh yeah when you can create different sounds like this it's it's really interesting um the other and, um yeah. the other sound i picked up on in this track was a bit of the manchester sound i thought yeah um i don't know if you yeah if you got that but i thought new order um mm -hmm. even a bit of the stone roses not a band that i personally particularly like yeah, uh, but definitely that kind of like hazy wash, and I could kind of imagine him sort of swaying around a bit like Ian Brown, which wasn't a particularly appealing image. But um. <laughs> yeah, uh, I to be yeah, I probably think it's more Stone Roses than uh, New Order. Actually, right, like it's that it has a certain 
warmth to it as well that that which I think of like Stone Roses as, as having in a weird way. Um, yeah, the guitarist guy uh, whose name has now just completely. Um, I think it's uh, I think Tom Cohen might be the guitarist, and someone can pick me up on that later if they want to. Um, I believe he's a big fan of pedals and like creating new sounds and you know seeing it, what you can get from making your own pedals and all this stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean like the part of the whole sound of what they're doing with the guitar as well is um, just through a technical standpoint is using like the whammy bar um, and my bloody Valentine again, do this quite a lot, which makes the set. So obviously your guitar is in tune. When you use a whammy bar, you're slightly bending the tuning of the guitar so that it's slightly off. So that's why you hear that like of the like guitar when that comes in, that's, you know, kind of using a, a whammy bar and slightly putting the sound off. So it's not quite in tune which gives it that sense of unease. And that's, again, they do that quite a lot um, through this album. It gives that feeling of something's not quite right. And it gives you, it puts you, you know, you're on your seat, at the edge of your seat a little bit more than you, when you would do. And, you know, when it's done, sometimes it can sound awful, but when it's done right, it really does have this uh, incredible effect and it really works for, for something here. Um, it can be abused. It can be abused. Yeah. Uh, let's Let's wait and see how it crops up throughout the rest of the album because it can become a crutch as well for a lot of bands can't it when yeah. you're trying to get that whole sound yeah uh, whammy abuse yeah exactly um <laughs> and there, there, there does become a bit of that but when you're kind of creating like this kind of more of a soundscape than an actual like melody with your guitar you, you kind of get a bit more freedom with it um and yeah, from again, from a kind of another technical standpoint they're they're doing a lot with compression here um you hear the sound duck every now and then um, to give it part of the effect and also makes it sound also a bit um, wavy again, I guess. Um, yeah. Did you say you'll he- we'll hear a duck throughout? Yeah, a duck, the sound ducks. The so sound of a duck. <laughs> <laughs> you might hear every now and <laughs> every now and then. No. What um, the hell were they doing in that studio in Bath? <laughs> <laughs> no, so for for people that don't know, so I, sh- I should explain when it's like when you're um, like side chaining uh, or compressing something, which essentially means you're turning something down to create more space for the other sounds that are on that frequency to fill. So a lot of people do this. A lot of dance music does this with um, like kicks. So like my Legacy stuff, um, there's a lot of side chain in the drums, which basically means that everything else by milliseconds gets turned down so the drum kicks in on that beat and takes up that entire kind of sonic space as it were sonic hedgehog space and um yeah so you can kind of hear how they're playing around with that um a little bit and uh yeah it just gives it this quite dynamic um sound without it kind of taking up too much space in the frequency of the human ear if that makes sense that sounds um, boring. I'd rather hear the duck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, when the sound gets turned down fully, a little duck eats it. <laughs> it's out and it comes back. That's good. We're back on my level now. <laughs> if, we can, <laughs> if we can keep the technical discussion to a minimum. <laughs> yeah. And um, more wildfowl, please. Well, yeah, people, uh, people might like 
might not like ducks. I don't know. <laughs> you got to um, cater to all audiences. Yeah, the duck, the duck, duck tails. Um, yeah, so there's uh, the keyboard here, the synths that they use. You know, it, it loops really nicely. Um, it taps the first kind of thing taps into the top of the um, EQ, as it were. So it's got like a much more high end sound. Uh, it f- feels really full, um, and it's essentially kind of mirroring the sound that came in alongside the bass earlier and they complement each other quite nicely. Uh, the drums have this like slight reverb um, and they're kind of sitting in the same space as the vocals. Uh, so that's, which is quite reverby as well. And, you know, just to talk about Ferris's voice for a sec. What, I mean, what did you think when, you know, Ferris first starts singing? I felt it was something I'd heard before, um, which, you know, meant it was sort of familiar to me. It, it felt, like, felt like a very recognisable sound. I honestly thought this is a song from the 80s that I've I've heard several times before, probably whilst drunk at a student nightclub or something. Um, again, which sort of harks back to me feeling like, yeah, this is that kind of like 80s dreamy or early 90s even Manchester shoegazy sound. Um, it obviously, yeah, fit the music. I don't yeah. know, though, if... if other people feel that there's something a bit more like uh, unique to his voice, but for me it was just sort of you know it's there, it's an instrument in 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 the mix, sort of doing what it needs to be doing alongside all those other myriad sounds and textures. Yeah, I mean it's a, with this album, it's a lot less punky singing, but you can still tell it's the same kind of singing. It's, um, I like to kind of call it, it's like a frenzied talk singing, um, which is what he does. And I think it does sound, it's not new, but it does sound quite unique, but it's also because he really gives it like 110%. There's some like gusto behind it, which is that kind of eighties confidence, right? Where it's like, you're all in. Um, there's a bit of a swagger. It's a croon with a swagger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of a little bit defiant. Um, I mean, some people said it's a bit too Ian Curtis. Kind uh-huh. of, I kind of see it. You know, I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's, it's more like an inspiration of rather than a copy of maybe. Um, but it feels very dramatic. It's like, and he, he puts, um, and what I really like, and what is quite 80s, he puts unique emphasis on different words. Like, you know, he goes, walk on into the, that kind of like really bravado almost kind of um aspect of it it's just it feels quite cool it feels like he's kind of rallying you into the song um and it's you know it's perfect for the opening track i think it really kind of reflects the album as a whole yeah he's also got a bit of a defeated sound in there as well as that swagger like um which again you know maybe that's where people get the incurtis thing from yeah true yeah um so at about the you know two minute 18 mark the guitar kind of drifts off leaving the bass slowly build up um, and the electro kind of part. Um, and this clean feeling is a slight respite. Um, you, you know, you're very much aware that the distorted guitars aren't there and this electric loop is running and running, which keeps you in that same headspace, but also makes you feel slightly uncomfortable because now you've kind of got used to that guitar sound and you want it to come back. You almost miss it, which is really strange. And then when it does come back, it, it kind of, really washes over you again you're enveloped in this like grit and dirt and it's so heavily distorted now that it's it's pretty much crackling it's like everything else is so clean um and the guitar is just so dirty you feel like it's making it feels like it's making the song better by trying to ruin it um 
and you know, that kind of speaks throughout the whole album. And that's the reason why this this first track is, you know, I'm kind of taking so long with it. It's just because it's so reflective of, you know, what's what's about to happen, what the rest of the album's going to sound like. Um, and really, when you think about it, it's like a structured song. It's actually quite short. Uh, it feels longer, but the actual basis of the song itself, it's only really, a, you know, a, a couple of minutes. Um, it's, you know, the same, um, same bits each time, well, like any song, but... Um, yeah, it's actually like a two-minute song in like a four or five-minute soundscape. Um, you know, there's a second build-up. The crescendo now has a very high guitar-picking sound um, for me, which is actually probably one of my favourite parts of the album. a little bit interpol uh, interpol do it quite a lot um but there's usually more staccato and and that means like staccato is essentially when you're playing quickly like digga, 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 digga. um so yeah it's not quite as interpol do quite heavy staccato so it's, it's not quite as much as that but there's just so much fuzz on it, it sounds great it's merging into another build-up this time with the sweeping guitar and then slowly all the elements start stopping and it just leaves that electronic sound just to kind of see us see us out um and just yeah musically that that first track is is great um it's very dramatic and filmic yeah you know it's 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 very visual you can imagine that being a soundtrack to the opening of a film and like some epic planes or something that you're scanning over (laughs) with some some nice mist and fog rising up yeah yeah um so just to talk about the lyrics um a little bit as well weirdly I kind of had something in my head um, when I came into this of like what is, you know, what he's kind of singing about a little bit. And um, a lot of these are about love, uh, unrequited love or forlorn kind of love. Um, But then when I, just with this song in particular, and I was thinking about it, I I kind of turned it on its head a little bit and then it became a bit more um, depressing in a weird way. Um, Yeah, a lot of the songs are like about, yeah, uh, maybe like an ex that you're still crazy about which is what i felt like this song at first you know was kind of about um like whatever that's happened has has left you in a state of this like crippling shyness and you're trying your best to just walk on into the night and forget about her and it's quite this vivid imagery like about a fleeting moment that just from one look has sent you into this kind of you know mania um but then i was thinking like you know why is it called mirror's image and then you know thinking about the title then wondered if this was actually about a woman noticing her own reflection, someone who perhaps hates the way they look. And when, and now when I listen to it from that angle, it's actually, it's exponentially more sadder and full of melancholy. So it's the lyrics just to kind of go over them quickly. Is it, it goes, um, is it her way? Is it the way she looks at you seeing her face as you walk through the crowded Avenue that sets you afire, remembering all you left behind. Don't fall back in line. Better. You let her memory die, draw strength, walk on into the night Better you try to pass her by, walk on into the night. Is it too late? Or are you forever in this state of crippling shyness whenever you see her walking by? So yeah, at first I thought that was like about an ex. But then, yeah, if you think about it, about someone that's looking at their own reflection, it's much darker. (laughs) I don't know if that's what it's going for. It's bloody sad. Bloody sad. It's quite horrible. The idea you catch this glimpse of yourself and you just 
hate yourself that much that it's like you know it's just yeah it's horrible um yeah i mean it always like that whole like walk on into the night something i remember someone describing tears for fears um who we both love as that the the reason why it's so powerful is their songs are like upbeat hopeful determined but yet full to the brim of basically sadness failure depression melancholy um (laughs) And this kind of, it kind of taps into that a little bit of like this like triumphant kind of song of like, you know, walk on into the night, whatever, when it's actually the saddest thing. Yeah. <laughs> the saddest thing in the world. That's a good comparison, actually. I hadn't thought of that before, but because um, obviously Tears of Fears, you know, big sounds, big production. Um, but essentially, you know, they, they started that band and it was all born out of like their sort of like sad desperation to get some of their really bitter feelings down on tape yeah they made it very clear that it was you know a freudian analytical look at their like childhood yeah their life Uh, um hence why the hurting is a little child basically crying at the front um yeah not to kind of go into that but yeah so this is i think it's a great choice choice for an opener um yeah and then the next song is uh is three decades um so this was essentially the first song that was actually recorded for the album and it kind of dictates what else would come. Um, so yeah, let's just give it a listen a little bit. <laughs> So yeah, what what do you think about this song, Dan? Yeah, I really like this. Um, totally kicking into like a, a new gear now. As uh, so we hit track two, definitely sounds a bit more garagey. You know, when you were talking about the Sonics back then. Um, yeah, that's just like a really nasty start as well. Like the first ten seconds, that beat coming in, um, quite you know like post-punk beat. It's not quite straight. And some yeah. of those sounds just they're they're quite aggressive. They sound a bit dirty and nasty. Um and then you get this kind of like yeah, like quite 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 speedy kind of song. Um as opposed to like the first track, which is all quite yeah building quietly and meditatively. Yeah. Uh, it's weird that you say you like the first ten seconds because every time this song comes up, it's the initial ten seconds always puts me off listening to it. Um <laughs> And I have to remind myself that that's not the song, if you know what I mean. Like, that's not the whole song because it just feels like really... It has this, like, like xylophonic, like, underwater kind of sound and the guitar's really screechy and it sounds, like, really off. But then it's almost as if, like, the drums are trying to break through and then suddenly, you know, it does that roll and it's like... And we're in that groove, Um yeah. And yeah, I really like all that. It sounds like a rusty hinge or like a door falling off a car. Yeah. It's quite it does, jarring, yeah. you know, after the first song. Pfft, yeah. Straight in there now. Bam. And then in. And it also like, so again, we've got the kind of guitars like waving slightly out of tune and a like a, almost like a string section in an orchestra. And then, so then it's got that organ sound, which is quite a signature sound from the first album that kind of carries through here and isn't really um done too much throughout the rest of the album but it's very quite dominant here and it, it sound it doesn't sound it, sorry it does indeed sound quite quite scary hence why you know this organ sound is 
became such a signature kind of thing for for a band called the horrors yeah um, yeah, yeah it's quite a, an atonal sound that it's uh and it's definitely it definitely stand out yeah something gothic about it and it's very catchy here actually like um and then yeah once after the you know after the verses there's this swell like again like a wave like lifting you up um and yeah vocal wise um it has this like spooky reverse delay going on which means you can slowly like start start hearing it before you even start singing um it's quite a catchy chorus but yeah again like ferris is completely committing here he's got a really catchy vocal melody that has a nice flow to it and quite a satisfying ending Uh, so yeah, we essentially have it's quite again. It's quite a simple song. We essentially have the intro again. It's a bit more of a build up. Then we're into the chorus, and that's basically it. That's kind of the whole song. Um, I'd say generally, it's got a couple of nice sounds to it, but it's probably one of the more uh, personally, I think it's one of the more forgettable tracks off the album. Um, it's just it's quite simple. It has a bit of catchiness to it, but there's nothing that really resonates or that sticks in the brain for too long. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, um, it seems to me like yeah, it's kind of like a change of gear kind of track after the opener, just to give us. You know, I'm just looking. It's the shortest song on the album, um, right? Just to kind of segue into who can say? Yeah, um, yeah. Which which we'll get into. I'm just gonna just the lyrics here, just to talk about it a little bit. Mm. Um, it sounds like you know three decades in Canada. And now you plan to leave your home and lead a life more valiant. Uh, so the whole thing sounds like someone venturing off to a new life. It's full of like motivational language. You know, don't let fear dictate your life. Forget your regrets, all this stuff. Um, but at the same time, the idea of a new life is imagined as like a, as a woman almost. It's personified. Um, and it's almost sexualized in a, in a way. Uh, I mean, perhaps it's literally about someone losing their virginity. Like this is the new adventure they've gone on. Um, but it, it sounds more like it's about someone being brave and leaving their old life behind for passages new. Um, so it's okay, lyrically, you know, there's not, um, there's nothing there that really particularly, you know, hits home or like that's makes you feel anything really. Uh, I would say it's not one of the, the better written tracks off the album, but it's okay. As you said, it's kind of feels like it's more, you know, you've had the kind of intro, the kind of headspace thing, and now they're kind of gearing you up, doing something that's a bit faster that kind of ups the pace a little bit. Um, yeah, fun little track. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Yeah. Um, So the next track is Who Can Say? Let's listen to a little bit of that now. So, yeah, so right from the off, it begins with this incredibly deep, dirty, kind of grungy guitar sound, um, drums punctuating it. It's almost slightly like a bit tribal almost, but it's um, you know counteracting the staccato effect of the guitar that they're doing here. And then, yeah, when that organ kind of chimes in, it sounds like a, it's in a deserted dance hall, which is exactly what the music video um, is. Essentially, it's them like crooning on a, on a, but in a ballroom, basically. Um, and yeah, it's very catchy. What, what's your first, you know, out of the gate reaction? I thought this one sounded like it was probably the single. Um, it seems quite conventional to me. The melody is quite straightforward. And it seems that I think a lot of the appeal of this is in the sound and all those kind of moving parts that are going on around it. But if you would strip it back, I think it's quite a basic track. Um, yeah. Which is why then, I, you know, I'd say... It, that could be a single because it's probably quite easy to, uh, to digest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it is very, it was very much the kind of hit single, I think off, off the album. Um, I mean, it all, it sounds like something you'd almost hear at like South End Pier. Do you know what I mean? Like you could always hear it <laughs> drifting from like a scary abandoned arcade or something. It has got a color, kind of kaleidoscopic whirl about it, but it's also like, there's something like queasy about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're right, yes, yeah, sound-wise, there's a lot less kind of going on here. It's a lot, like, clearer. Um, the guitar, it doesn't have much low frequency to it. Um, instead, it's kind of bouncing in the middle to higher range, which is a bit more, like, normal for, you know, guitar-based music. Um, Ferris's vocals, they've slightly distorted them, so it, it sounds a bit like a slight croon or as if it's coming out of, like, a 
a final record or like an old style stereo. So they've kind of given it that, you know, effect almost of like, um, yeah, that old, yeah, as I said, like that old kind of forties or fifties kind of crooning or whatever. Um, yeah. And then on the second verse, you know, they've got the guitar that comes back in, um, which kind of drives that dirtiness again, like making sure you haven't forgot about it. Um, and the snare, you know, it's driving us fast towards the bridge each time. And then it kind of cuts out in the middle um, in with this bit, which is just Faris talking to us about his experience, uh, like we're a friend or he's reading a poem or perhaps he's relaying his sadness in a dying breath. But the actual, the actual lyrics in this bit are from uh, a, a band called Jay and the Americans, um, a track they did called She Cried. Um, and it was covered by a few people, including the Shangri-Las, um, Aeros- and Aerosmith, actually, funny enough. But um, so the bit that, that's this bit. And when I told her I didn't love her anymore, she cried. And when I told her her kisses were not like before, she cried. And when I told her. It's a, it's a little bit different. But, um, yeah, I didn't realise until uh, just looking into this that, um, yeah, that that's actually uh, that's actually what it was. Was um, yeah, was uh, from from that that song. And beyond that song, I mean, it's a total pastiche of kind of early sixties um, pop, especially like you know, like girl band pop. I mean, that drum beat, that is "Be My Baby." Yeah, um, yeah, and then those lyrics he's singing—it's all kind of like a bit tongue-in-cheek and, and knowing about a relationship. He's singing to a girl. Da, 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 da. It's quite cool. So yeah, so and then towards the end of the song, um, we've got the organ that comes back in. It's at a higher scale now, um, like it's crying out a little bit more here. Uh, and then you've got the, the distinctive sweeping guitar sound comes back. Um, it's kind of like it feels like they're doing it with a bottleneck slide guitar. Um, and it now sounds almost like celebratory, like it's still got a sadness to it still, but um, sounds a bit more, yeah, like a, a celebration. And then, uh, yeah, Ferris kind of just sings Get Away over and over and over again at the end, like he's done like with Lenny it. Kravitz. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Imagine. Um, uh, yeah, like he's finished. He's finished with it. You know, is he is he talking to us or is he talking to her? Uh, who can say? Who can say? <laughs> Not me. Um, even though I just did. Uh, yeah, and uh, the lyrics are pretty self-explanatory. He's trying to break up with someone, <laughs> and he's like, "Look, it's better off if we weren't together." But again, um, yeah, it's kind of he's trying to do it in like a rip the plaster off kind of way. Like you're better without me. You know, better off without me. And another guy will treat you treat you better. You know, just I just want to end it. So he's like trying to be nice by keeping it by being mean, basically, like just pure rejection. Um, yeah, you know the whole getaway thing, whether it's for her sake or not, he just doesn't want it to continue. So it's quite a sad song. It's about heartbreak, but from what starts as someone trying to be quite nice about it, it seems to actually get exasperated by it by the end. So I don't know how nice it actually is. Um, but yeah, for me, I 
loved this song. I thought it was great. It's really, um, it's just really unique uh, for me anyway. But yeah, what, what are your thoughts on it? I think it's cool um, that I've just kind of like drawn this little parallel um, from what we've been speaking about some of this 60s stuff and like I said, being my baby. Um, just to think about how influenced they might have been by Phil Spector. Um, yeah. Because it seems to emulate that sound and more broadly I'm thinking there's all that cacophony of sound and it really makes me think of the wall of sound techniques and everything. And um, I think I think the, the more I listen to this and the deeper we go in, the more I'm hearing, it's not just you know bits of shoegaze and kraut rock. Actually, there's a grounding in in a lot of classic kind of rock and roll. Yeah, it definitely definitely has that to it. Um, so yeah, we kind of we kind of move on now to like, do you remember? Uh, let's have a little listen to that. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny you talk about Stone Roses because this does really have like a 90s Stone Roses sound to it. Um, and even though, again, this still has that kind of guitar sound that they've, they've had throughout the album, it's a, little, it's a little more clearer here. There's more picking and melody being played than before rather than a bit more of a soundscape. Um, yeah, it's a bit less catchy and, and you know, for, I don't know, what do you, what do you think? See, I like that. <laughs> yeah. I like that it's... Um it's got a bit of a lurch to it it's a bit slower he sounds a lot more strained and pained essentially i like human despair and when that comes through in music i'm happy yeah um i think technically it's not one of the better songs on the track it's um it the guitar hook i think is kind of overdone a little bit by the end of the song um that just gets a little tiresome it's just always like returns back to it and after a while you're a bit like okay fine um chorus as well isn't that great it's not quite as powerful as the other ones and you know they have a sign up verse and they build up and then it's a bit disappointing it doesn't really go anywhere else it goes back to that guitar hook um which i'm already quite bored of really by that point um yeah i mean yeah he does sound a little bit more pained um there's some points where i think he maybe sounds a bit more unenthusiastic maybe um but yeah there's some some interesting drum fills um but for me this is not one of the stronger tracks on the album um and it just kind of ends as well it's not it's not a bad track or anything but i would say it's it's one of the ones where you know if push came to shove i'd probably skip it if i was you know if it's time dependent (laughs) yeah um yeah, I mean, what do you do? You think it's one of the? Is it one of your faves? I don't know if I'd say that, but I certainly, you know, I like this because it's a slightly more flat, defeated sound. Um, again, I think it's just like another facet of what's on this album. It sounds quite like post-punk to me, but without the kind of like uh, the danceability factor. Yeah. Um, lyrically, it's a bit more interesting for me because it's um, they. It sounds as if it's about someone asking another person to wait um, and they're reminding them of their past relationship. But 
and it, on the surface, it kind of makes it sound like it's like a long distance love. Um, they talk about like a, he talks about a sea being in between them. And, you know, what does a, what does a sea represent? We all learned this at like, you know, 14 or whatever in English classes. Yeah. Um, it's death is the answer. So, you know, is it, so really, is it actually about someone seeing off their, their loved one? Is it about them maybe clinging on to their memories of one another that, you know, they will soon reach, he'll, he will soon reach her in death. Um, and perhaps the, she, perhaps she's not quite dead. Perhaps she's like laying there dying or something like that. And if, you know, and he says, you know, if you don't remember now, you will soon. Um, it's almost a slight threat, but instead it could be deemed that, um, you know, that death would have released her from the clutches of a, of a human memory. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it's quite a funny line to kind of end the whole song on, but, um, yeah, it's it's a little bit more intriguing um, lyrically, I think, than the actual music side of it. Yeah, that bloody sea. There should be more anti-sea songs. You don't hear many of them, do you? But uh, they're quite right. I don't know why they bother with it. Yeah, just get rid of it. Yeah, I mean, I sometimes because I live by the sea, I sometimes look out and just think, death. <laughs> I wish that whole ruddy lot of water would evaporate. <laughs> yeah, well, it kind of does because the sea, the tide goes in and out. Is that how it works? I don't really understand. Uh, yeah, well, it's not, evapor- it's not evaporation. <laughs> it's not all going into the... Not disappearing into the air. <laughs> Are you sure? I thought and then it just sort of like comes up through the cracks overnight. Comes up through the cracks like lava. <laughs> yeah born again that's how it all works isn't it yeah yeah well not, not quite and then yeah next track is new ice age let's have a listen Yeah, what was your first thoughts when you uh, heard this song? I thought that's really vicious. <laughs> um, mm. I like it. It feels like okay, this is getting serious now. This album, we've got something just really menacing, really dramatic. Nice bit of bite and edge to it. Um, he sounds pissed off. It's really quite punky when those um, vocals come in. Mm. Yeah, I like this one a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, weirdly, it's one of my, my one of my favourite ones. Um, I, I just love guitar riffs that don't actually sound quite right. Um, you know, notes that feel like they don't actually belong together, and they and it can really come across as like um, quite evil. Actually, as a result, like the one I think of, you know, from what we do is uh, you know you never started nothing. Um, it's quite similar. 
in that and it's just three notes but they don't sound like they belong they belong together so it makes it sound really like quite horrible in a weird way um and yeah the opening to the song is just is like exactly like that it's got a great great build up at the beginning and it makes you it's making you wonder like where's this going like what's going to happen a guitar riff keeps getting built upon and it now sounds even worse slash better depending how you're looking at it like it's getting more weird um, a bit more frantic and there's this weird vibrato that's been added which makes it comes across even more strange and then also in the background there's this, like strange drone that you know you're not quite aware of some that you know on the surface it's so it also adds to this like unease that's kind of building up and then you've got the snare the snare roll kind of brings in the beat but you're but it doesn't break <laughs> you know what i mean like the snare roll comes in it's not breaking anything you're still left with the this uneasy guitar sound and it which makes you feel you know even more uneasy because you you feel like you've built up for it to like reach some kind of crescendo and it's not it's actually still going even though the drums have come in now yeah it gets quite claustrophobic this track yeah it's really great um it's, it's clever as well the way they do it but yeah there's more effects now um a lot of effects are added added onto it now and then Ferris comes in um and he and he breaks the tension with his voice um the first words that he says is the agony <laughs> and then then you know now we're in we're into the song um the song itself is quite, again is quite quite simple um and yeah Ferris is kind of going full on drama here like you could imagine flailing his arms around and all this stuff um and yeah the chorus is uh, a bit more catchy it's this kind of like new wave kind of catching us to it that's quite dark but still quite poppy um and yeah it's this cacophony of like slightly horrible sounds that are made into something that actually yeah it's it's quite poppy it's quite strange um yeah but it's still basically you know for me i was just like this is just a discordant dark tarry slime yeah you're still talking about the song or yeah oh yes you're poo <laughs> <laughs> let's never, i said i said uh, poppy not pp <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's agree that over the course of these podcasts that that subject is never addressed <laughs> <laughs> we both know that cannot be promised <laughs> um poop always wins out uh <laughs> so yeah they have again they do like the classic thing they they do quite often in this album they have a bit of a breakdown a bit of silence not full on silence but yeah it kind of breaks down a little bit and it's an excuse for them to suddenly start ramping up the pace um, and it suddenly builds up this weird like excitement uh, which I'll show you a bit now The guitar now becomes more and more like deranged, um, and yeah, it's got a, it's, it ends really well as well, um, and it's just one of the hidden gems, I would say. The album, it's not really your go-to track if you're kind of showing someone the album, but um, you know, it, every time it comes on, I suddenly remember why I like it so much. If that makes sense, it's one of those tracks where you 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 never go you know put it on specifically, and yet when it comes around, you're like, man, I really love that song. Um, I should listen to it more, if that makes sense. 
So what's going on with the lyrics here? Because uh, we're into water again. New yeah. Ice Age. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's, it's really weird because you could kind of look at it as a very modern piece that talks about global warming. Um, it, you know, he, it sounds quite apocalyptic. Uh, I was wondering, is it like a drug thing, maybe? Um, or maybe I wonder if it's someone... You know, seeing as a lot of these are about heartbreakers, is someone who feels as though they're cold and dead inside now that something's had such an effect that they feel like they've been, you know, spat out, as he says. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you've got lines, you know, like time is ticking, tick, 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 dead. A new ice age, closer day by day, will freeze when ice wings are swooping down. Um, how we need it now, ice will make a thousand sculptures and ice will spit them out. Lot about ice. <laughs> it's you know, ice shocks the sleeping system. Ice hits the deadbeat bar. Ice hits the faceless enemies. Ice strikes the cowering clowns. The coldest days will come. Welcome to the ice age. I mean, it's very apt for a song called "New Ice Age." That's true. There will never, there will never be a new ice age like this one. He <laughs> says, and that could be. Um, Al Gore saying that, <laughs> or Farish Badran. <laughs> it could be one or the other. I wouldn't be able to distinguish it. So, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm reading this wrong. Um, maybe someone out there knows really what it's about. But, yeah, I'm I'm not quite sure. Without 100%. doing a deep analysis, um, it certainly looks like you know, water is being used throughout as a sort of uh, either something that's a gulf in a relationship or bringing despair or death. Yeah, it's definitely a, a theme, a recurring theme within this album. Um, which so is that, good. Yeah. It it's is good. Themes. Which is good. Yes. <laughs> I never said otherwise. <laughs> Would you call this a, uh, a concept album? I don't know. I actually don't... I don't think so, by the way. They seemingly we're creating loads of songs that kind of sound the same and starting together. I don't think there's a, I think it's more just they're in that same thought, you know what I mean? That same headspace or whatever throughout rather than they were sitting down thinking, right, what's this, what's this album about? What's it talking about? Um, I want to set out to make an album about water. Yeah. (laughs) That didn't, that wasn't consciously discussed. Yeah. What are you going to call it? Primary colors. Um, that ought to throw them. That'll get that'll get them going. And let's you know, let's put a picture of us, but as if you're looking through it through water. How about that on the front cover? Oh, oh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> XL. They maybe. liked it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, so the next track, moving on, is uh, to Scarlet Fields. Um, so let's have a, a little bit of a listen to that.
So I have to say this is probably one of my favourite um, songs off the album. It might be, it might be my favourite al- my favourite track of the album. Not sure, um, but for me, it's 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 really up there. Um, did yeah? What did you think about it in comparison to the other songs that you've heard th- so far? Um, it's definitely one of the the more melodic, poppier ones. Um, again, I think it's kind of one of the more like atypical songs that I would expect from a band in this kind of genre. Um, it didn't have, you know, like the ones that I like have a bit more of that like punky edge, the menace. Um, and this felt very much like a bit of a retread to uh, like some of the other popular moments, all distilled into one one yeah. tune. Yeah. Um, yes, I can see that. Yeah. I mean, I like how it starts with this weird reverse guitar, a bit of synth feedback. Um and then Ferris kind of, you can kind of hear Ferris talking in the background at some point. Um, so it's almost as if they're preparing for something already, like right at the beginning of the song, like they're not quite ready to even begin the song yet, which is quite strange and cool in its own its own way. Yeah, the opening of the track's um, really different, wasn't it? Because suddenly you've got some like quite weird new sounds that we haven't heard before. It's quite yeah. alarming. I was like, what the hell is this going on? It sounds like Miss Saigon. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, but it's good at this point in an album, track six, yeah, to keep, get something a little bit uh, fresh for your ears. Yeah, um, yeah, it does keep kind of always keep you guessing uh, the album, which is which is really good. It's um, yeah, they, then again, it, they, as you said, it's a strange sound. They've almost got like a, what sounds almost like a violin playing slightly off. I'm guessing it's another guitar effect, but yeah, it's almost like when you listen to it, it's almost like the weird a weird muffled barking of a small dog. Um, <laughs> really strange. But it's it's kind of like a noise, and it's the same thing as you were saying, like these strange sounds. It's a noise that demands your interest yeah. as you try and work out what it is. So without you even knowing about it, you're trying to place it. And so it's, sub, it's subconsciously bringing you into the song because you're not 100% clear what you're actually listening to. Yeah, totally. Um, so your brain is working overtime trying to figure it out. Um, but before you've even had time to really do that, this bass hook comes in again, something you're familiar with. And again, like it does in the other tracks, it kind of pulls you into the melody. Um, and especially in this song, which is a bit more of like a Joy Division-y kind of style air of melancholy, like throughout. Um, and yeah, Ferris' singing is a bit different here. It's, it's slightly distorted and muffled again, but it, he, he he's kind of giving it more, it sounds more empty and lazy almost. Um and then yeah, when the pre-chorus comes in, it's you know it's pure kind of Kevin Shields' "My Bloody Valentine." Um, it's probably the closest to being a rip-off, almost that you would kind of say. Um, but it's it's weird because it kind of strangely scratches this itch that you've had in the space that it's left empty beforehand. Um, it's like uh, it's like an oncoming storm building up, building up to the chorus. Um, and yeah, then the keyboard is playing something that's quite clear and bright and upbeat and poppy while the guitar is offsetting it with its dirty, slight out of, uh, out of tune playing. And it, it sounds like it's almost at a different tempo. It's really weird. Um, then after like a second round, you know, first chorus, um, we chill out. The synth is playing something that's quite nice and bright again. Everything's a bit more sweet here before Ferris and the guitars come back in and that dirty chorus, which makes us feel 
really filthy again. Um, yeah, so listen to it. This is the bit I'm talking about. So yeah, and once again, like with the tracks on this album, the bass line is consistently keeping you hooked and locked in, no matter what else is going on throughout the song. Um, and then, yeah, weirdly, like it ends with this, like this, the last note is this clear, like bright sound. It's almost like no matter what's just happened beforehand, it's it's one, <laughs> like it's ha. it's one at the end. Um, I'll just quickly play it now. Yeah, it's a victorious sounding song. It's almost like it was written for indie disco. Yeah, I can imagine a crowd of uh, drunk kids kind of all raising their snake bite in black at the end of the night. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like that. You're right. It's got a really strong bass line all the way throughout. It's quite uh, it's quite hooky, as in Peter Hook. Yeah, it's literally yeah, um, yeah, and also like the lyrics here some of my favorite actually <clears throat> because it's it's quite poetic um and it sounds as if like for once in this album you know a lot of it's about heartbreak or unrequited love or whatever but this sounds like so- about someone who's completely in love um that they're you know they're almost taken to another land it's slightly surreal and romantic and they look at themselves from the adoring viewpoint of another and they enjoy it and embrace it um and it all looks so glorious until that last line, um, which is, you know, so the line beforehand, I'll just go through it. It's not actually that long. As the summer fades away, you'll lead me to the garden, passing the lovers swooning in the autumn. See yourself, your image in the eyes of someone else. See yourself, your fears as they appear to someone else. When the sun sets on dark silhouettes, collapse into dream as summer fades away, laugh at my reflection, pass to a lover, seeking your affection. Though I know you won't be here for long. <laughs> bit fatalistic <laughs> yeah he had a lovely little ditty there <clears throat> yeah it's yeah, just got that it. yeah it's just a real tinge of sadness at the end it's just and it's just turned just that last line has just turned the whole song on its head in a weird way um which is great so it's like is it a dream is it because he knows that love can be fleeting is it that you know she's she's truly leaving him or whatever it just throws up it just throws up all these questions in that last moment with that one line and i think that's quite you know, it's quite clever. Um, yeah, it's a good technique. Um, the one that springs to mind is um, Devo, Beautiful World, you know. Yeah. Where you basically make a song that sounds very optimistic and full of hope. And then you just undermine it all at the end with that one kind of like withering line. What was the line at the end of A Beautiful World? I can remember the song. I don't remember the last line. It's a beautiful world for you, but not for me. <laughs> I don't remember that bit. It's what? A, it's a beautiful world. That or one, right? you. Oh, uh, yeah. Not me. Yeah, okay, no, I do remember that. Um, yeah, it's true, <laughs> yeah. Just kind of this weird, completely turns the whole notion of it 
on its yeah. head. Um, yeah, so I quite I quite like that song. It's probably one of my favorite favorite ones um, on the album. Um, I know conceptually they've moved away from water. We're now in a field. Yes, yeah, a bit more greener on this one. Nice Green earth. Yeah. So I'm wondering now if we'll get uh, wind and fire over the course of the next four songs. <laughs> There's a lot of nature. Yeah. yeah. Kind of going on. Or maybe maybe heart. Maybe it's a Captain Planet themed album. God. He does talk about love. Everything all these songs really are about love in a weird in a weird way. More than more than water. That's <laughs> <laughs> a funny thing for a person to be singing about. Exactly. Give this guy a pint of love and he's <laughs> and water it down. <laughs> um, um so I only think of you. I only think of you. Let's listen to that for a sec. So, yeah, this is one that I would usually skip. Um, it's actually a rather good song still, I think. It just takes its time to get there. And it's just that little bit too painfully slow for me to actually bother with, if that makes sense. It's just too long, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it goes on for over seven minutes. Um, that's a long time. Um, again, harping back to what I was saying about um, there are some roots in this like 60s sound and Phil Spector and everything. This to me sounds like the very long build-up of the Shirelles. Will you still love me tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, I could kind of see that. Tonight you're mine completely. Yeah, etc. Except there's you know 50 verses or something. <laughs> um, yeah, but I feel like. I don't know um, if other people would would hear it if they don't have that sort of song in in their mind. Although it's you know it's a song that everyone kind of knows, but yeah. I feel like if if you're aware of that song and you hear that, it kind of conjures it up, and then they can kind of play with that sort of pastiche a bit to sort of like undermine the message there, or not undermine it, but he, he you know he tweak it into this like wrought kind of uh, love song. Yeah. It's or failed um, love. Yeah, true. It's yeah, it's a it's a weird one. I mean again like lyrically it's about the death of a loved one. Has he killed her and gone to hell? Maybe is he in some kind of purgatory? There's a weird desperation to it, there's like weird sense of failure. I wondered if it was actually someone trying to support someone else with an addiction, maybe. Mm. Um and there's just a slight stalkerish obsession with it, you know. Um, talk about, you know, it's a long, long, long way down. Um, I found you on your side. Don't go because you know I'll follow. You know if I lose you, I'll go mad. It's so lonely coming down. So, you know, as the flames wash around me, there's your fire you were talking about. <laughs> um, I Good. only, yeah, I only think of you. I only want to save you. So it's a bit of a weird thing and ends with like I will carry you home which is kind of romantic but it's also from what's preceded it it's a little bit a little bit off a little bit weird um well it's just the person's uh dead or or at least very tired yeah true maybe it's just about you know sleepy dog <laughs> <I don't> know. 
Um, it's been for a particularly long and deep swim. <laughs> yeah, in, in the the sea of desperation. Um, <laughs> see, there's a strong. It's kind of like it's quite minimalist. It's a strong bass. It's not much drums. It just it keeps the song quite empty, at least to begin with. And then this violin-like guitar comes in. It's quite strange, a bit off as it's been throughout the whole album, really. Um, I would say it's probably the most Jesus and Mary Chain sounding song. Um, you know, Ferris is crooning a lot. Um, and you can also hear some kind of like double bass playing in the background as well. Everything's quite slightly deep and dark. Um, but the only thing that really keeps it interesting musically, there's like the, at one point the bass goes up an octave um, that keeps it slightly varied. The guitar bends out of tune a little bit again to try and maintain some kind of interest. The bass starts doing its own thing by the near the end of the song. It's playing staccato. It's almost like it's glitching out a little bit. Um, we hear more of the string section creeping in, kind of still making us a bit uneasy, but there's definitely this sense of waves again and this constant build and break, a build and break. So it kind of makes... It's, the song's kind of slow, but in its own weird way, it's satisfying by having these ups and downs, these crescendos and build-ups and crescendos again. Um, so it's never, you know, it's quite slow and boring when you're looking at it at seven minutes of kind of the same thing, but when you're in the middle of it, it's not it's not too bad. Um, yeah, and within the context of the album, um, you know, I like albums that, that clearly have an ebb and flow, and for me, the placement of this is quite nice. Um and if you're yeah, if you're kind of shutting off and you're willing to let this album just kind of like pass by you, this is actually a nice kind of come down at this point in the album, and it's got time to move and breathe. Um, I like the so I like the you know the, the concepts of, of what they've tried to do with this track, but I think maybe just like the execution of it, it's not quite um, enough, or maybe it's 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 too long to quite hold my interest. Yeah. Um, yeah, Maybe five I, minutes of this would have been nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's it's a nice break, as you said, but it's not enough to kind of keep me going. Um, yeah. Right. So the next one is I can't control myself. So let's hear a little bit of that. What are your thoughts on I Can't Control Fuck yeah. Myself? <laughs> I really like this. Um, this might be one of my favourite tracks. Mm-hmm. It's pretty straightforward. I think it's like the most kind of like garagey or like, yeah, ostensibly kind of garage rock track. It's got a really kind of like lewd and indecent lurch to it. Um, I just thought it was really fun. Yeah, um, it sounds like, like more of a you track. I would <laughs> say I can, I can kind of hear the aspects of it that I know, you know, the stuff that you like. Um, so it begins with this like distorted bass line. And for a second, you think it's going to go into a more traditional punky sound. Um, and then that strange organ that pulses in time with the beat whilst the guitars are a lot more high end here. And they're a lot more scratchy 
um, and they're played a bit more traditionally than the other tracks. They're not as, um, they haven't got that sweeping soundscape song. They're more like an actual guitar, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, it's kind of more akin with their former sound. I'd say it's more like the first album out of all the other tracks. Um, it sounds like a sixties, yeah, kind of garage sound. It's a bit more, it's a bit more dirty and the vocals sound like they could be from that era too. Um, but yeah, I mean, the second chorus is a bit more added to it. Um, and then there's some reverse delay guitar playing that sounds like it shouldn't belong, which is quite cool. It's not really a, and there's not really a solo, but it kind of plays the part of one. Um, and yeah, by the, by the end of the song, the organ isn't quite in time and it may, again, starts making you feel slightly weird. Um, and by that time the song's finished. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's really strange. It's not like a, it's not like a massive impact, but it's, it's quite like a nice bridge between the two sounds of both albums and would probably please fans from the first album who maybe don't quite like the new sound as well as people who obviously do like the new album. Um, yeah, it's quite a nice, like in betweeny uh, song. Certainly doesn't uh, outstay its welcome. No. Yeah. Um, no, it's short after that big long, um, I only think of you. Yeah, it's nice to get this. It's like a little uh, palate cleanser and a muse bouche. Yeah, it does. It works really nicely here, especially after um, the song before. I only think of you. Um, lyrically, uh, it's weird because he has this has the phrase "Scarlet Fields" in it, and yeah, obviously it's not the song "Scarlet Fields." Um, it, it sounds like it's someone in a frenzy trying to ask for help. There's a lot of romantic imagery here, but it it sounds like it's almost someone having a breakdown basically or some kind of existential crisis uh at first i thought it was about someone being quite passionate about someone else but i'm not sure so it's all you know well, it's cool i can't control myself uh, so that's obviously a bit of a hint as to the frenzied nature of it um but you know i tear myself in two i pray for scarlet fields uh to save me whole and white and pure i can't control myself a dream of lost desires I drive myself insane, etc. Um, shadows burst in flames. With a cry, I call your name. It's all like a little bit OTT, um, if that if that makes sense. It's very melodramatic. <coughs> um, yeah, which you know fits in with the rest of the album. But I think here it's uh, he's really gone all out with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's it's a good track. It's a, it's a you know it's a good one, and it's a bit weird, especially because the the track afterwards, which is um, which is primary colours. Uh, let's have a little listen to that. <laughs> the song off the album primary colors damn what did you think <laughs> um again a bit like um scarlet fields i kind of felt like this is something i've heard before um it sounds quite commercial i can see why it would be the title track um 
all in all, it didn't really do that much for me. It's okay. Um, I mean, I kind of feel the same. I mean, it sounds like it could be like an 80s pop song. You know, it's like the style of The Cure or something like that, but it doesn't quite fit, but it's kind of similar kind of thing, I guess. Um, sweeping guitars are back. Uh, the synth and the bass keep it quite bright and happy, yet it's still kind of dark in its own weird way. Um, mm. The vocals, again, are playing the part of something that's quite poppy and happy as well. Um, it's sung, again, as if it's almost celebratory, um, and it's quite catchy as well. Um, and then you have this weird, like, toned-down post-chorus part that's, you know, almost bringing you into the deeper sadness that lays behind the song, as if, like, this is the truth. And then all of a sudden we're back into the, the poppy bit again. Um, this is the bit I'm talking about. So it kind of, when it gets into like the second time around, um, it goes into like a David Lynch style, highly reverbed surf guitar. Um, and it, it feels quite, it, it starts feeling very sad again before the jubilant verse. Um, so it's almost as if the song is bipolar. <laughs> it's quite, <laughs> it's quite the swing between one and the other. It kind of plays your mood. It really makes you feel like you've been, it makes you feel like afterwards you've been on a bit of a journey in a really weird, in a really weird way. Um, just because you're swinging from one emotion to the to the next, it's tonally quite different. It's, it's it's weird, but it's all it's also you know it's the little touches. You'll notice like the guitar bends out of tune after each each time he sings primary colours like the actual lyric, as if symbolising the battle within the song between the happiness and sadness. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's quite it's quite I don't know it's quite interesting. Um, like lyrically, it sounds a bit like a medieval poem um but essentially this messiah like man seems to be struggling internally with this position that he's found himself in and he's all he seems to be paranoid and insecure and yet he remains in this position and is adored um by the sounds of it and then i was thinking is it like a commentary on dealing with the pressure of fame maybe um i'm not sure which would be a bit left field at this point in the album to introduce uh that as a kind of theme yeah, and it, it is a little bit. It's like, the, you know, it's one of the newest Messiah rolled into one, cover his shoulders in primary colours, which you imagine is like a regal kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then, like, the bits, it talks about, like, but as he falls asleep, the coloured lights will keep unwanted vigil over where he is. He doesn't know where he is. And those are, like, the, those quiet, weird moments. So it's like this jubilant thing during the day and at night he's like by himself thinking, I don't know what I'm fucking doing. Um, <laughs> God, what am I, where am I? Like what's even going on? And then all of a sudden it's daylight and he's got to act like the happy King and, you know, uh, demands of a million. Everyone needs him. Sycophants send him to the edge of reason. Everyone knows him. He knows himself better. And then at the end, riding through town on a chariot high, glory adorned and immortalized in primary colors. Um, so he's won out, even if he's insecure at night, <laughs> seems to be doing all right by the end of the song. Um, but you're right, it does take a d weird um, shift. I don't really, yeah, I don't really know. It's not about love, or maybe it is, I don't know. You just can't tell with this fella. He's all very poetic. 
It could be going on about anything. Yeah, uh, so C within a C. See within a C. Uh, I think it's great. Um, it's got uh, quite a slow build. Um, it's a little bit funky as well, um, and it's a little bit louder on the low end. The bass kind of acts a bit like a kick drum of its own. While in the highs and the mids, the guitar and cymbals and synths, you know, play along. Um, Ferris's vocal sounds slightly distant. Um, again, he sounds like someone who's hurt, who's going through some kind of emotional trauma. But it's all on top of a melody that keeps going in, you know, slightly strange places. Um, notes that aren't quite hitting what we're expecting um, and it, yeah it just makes us feel a bit uneasy uh, the cymbals act as a kind of almost like a high end kick here whilst there's a sub bass kind of coming in and out and it's it's just playing with the whole spectrum of sound here um, drums are quite solid it's got some nice interesting feels and uh, yeah there's just a cacophony of, of sounds um, before it breaks down and falls apart and it just leaves the kick and the bass. Um, and then that's when the song changes basically completely. A, a synth comes in, it's quite German, Krautrock, 80s. Um, and then, yeah, suddenly we're in a new song. From a, there's so much reverb on Ferris's voice here. Um, but also, like, a, a there's a clean version as well, so you can actually hear what he's saying properly. Um, and then we're in. We're into this song. synth comes in which complements the the former synth and now we're playing like both sides of the EQ um, for some reason the little sounds that Ferris makes here I, I quite like, I'm not sure if they're supposed to be quite childish and playful but the, the song is kind of building up here and they, they lump in another kind of mid synth um, quite slyly uh, you kind of hear like a trumpet sound in the background um, which makes it this kind of thing of being sad yet triumphant and yeah, round and round it goes um, until it falls away to leave just the synths by itself. It's almost as if it's like almost focusing you on the great melody that they've just been playing and just kind of isolating that by itself. Um, and that's it. So, yeah, it's, it's one of my more favourite tracks from the album. But, yeah, um, what did you think about it? Yeah, I really liked it. Um, you know, we've used the term shoegaze a lot, but we haven't spoken about psychedelic rock. 
and for me this has got a really strong like authentic 60s psychedelia kind of sound coming in there um it really i think as well kind of has this strange almost like distance like emotionally um even though there's all this exciting like rich sound going on and lots of change everything there's something quite languid almost um you know aloof if that makes sense it's really it's it's a really great song that you can like just really lose yourself in um as opposed to you know the other song we spoke about earlier um which one was it i only think of you there's something going on here from second to second to keep you absorbed and interested um I can really hear Jeff Barrow all over this as well. This to me, it's got a similar sound to a lot of the Beak material, um, and you can hear all those all those influences that that he loves. You can hear them all in this one song. You can hear the like distorted surf rock, the garage rock, psychedelic, shoegaze. It's all in here. Um, it's a distillation of everything that's a kind of across that whole album. Um, and I thought it was cool that it brings the album to full circle because we started with all that, that, that long textured build up with mirror, mirrors image. Um, and we kind of get it here. I do like a nice, big, long, epic album closer. Um, so it's very satisfying. Um, I wonder what you were going to say then. <laughs> Um, I thought it was interesting that this was also the the sort of lead song from the album. Yeah, yeah, it's the first first one, the first inkling that people got of where where they were going. I mean, it's quite a bold move to put this out first. It's not exactly the uh, obvious like choice of single, is it? No, um, but it does kind of sum up what they were trying to what they're trying to do. If you know what I mean, it's quite a nice warm entry like minus the first song um it's they're kind of making it obvious that this is like a bit more of an arty um composition yeah uh, i mean how did you feel when you heard this for the first time was this the first song that you heard from the album yeah i think it was yeah i'm pretty sure it was so it was i, I remember being really excited about it and um the music video that accompanies it, which is quite like Andy Warhol, he you know, plays with projections on the band and stuff. It's a bit Velvet Underground or whatever. Um, I was just like, this is cool. Like, this is totally what I want at this moment in time. Um, and yeah, like, and when the album actually ended up coming out, um, I was working uh, at MTV at the time and it definitely has that nostalgia. It takes me back to that, to that time. Where I, was, I was literally listening to it every morning on the way to work. Um, and yeah it was it was great it was really like big part of my life at that point um and yeah see within a sea was definitely like kick-started that excitement for what was yet to come and did the album deliver on that excitement it did yeah massively um i remember not long afterwards as well i think i was at reading festival and they were playing um and yeah they pretty much like i want to say they only did like two tracks or whatever off strange house maybe and the rest of it was made up of stuff off this album and i remember it must have only come out like a little while beforehand but i played it absolutely played it to death um and there weren't that many people there in the audience there's enough but um 
uh, it was the Radio 110, I think it was. But yeah, it was like in the middle of the day or something stupid. Um, and I remember when I was hearing those songs live, I was like, man, this is like bliss. This is amazing. It's really, really good. Um, yeah. And it, yeah, it really did. It really did deliver. But yeah, there's the two extra songs, right? Um, That's true. Yeah. If you're it's in Japan, that is, of course. Um, so I've been skirting around looking on Discogs because I like to um, kind of borrow around and look at weird additions and things. That's kind of my whole bag. Um, and there aren't that many, actually, of this album. I'm surprised. It came out in 2009. It doesn't seem to have ever been like reissued or repressed or anything. Um but this original 2009 uh, Japanese CD, uh, it came with the video for Sea Within a Sea um, and two bonus tracks, You Could Never Tell and A Whole New Way. Um, yeah. I don't know if people are aware, but Japanese CDs always have bonus tracks on. Um, it's kind of an incentive because in Japan, it's actually cheaper to buy an imported Western CD um, so to give you know Japanese record labels a foothold in the market, um, they're required to throw these extra tracks on. Um, so after the kind of like beautifully curated and climactic sea within the sea, boom, you get these two extra songs tacked on the yeah. end. And they're not great. Um... Yeah, what was the what was the name of the a whole new well, <laughs> <laughs> whole new way, whole new way, whole new way. Um, what did you think which, about it? Uh, yeah, it's out of the two, it's the better one. Um, it's kind of a step towards what would become their sound um, with Skying and like, and other albums down the line, um, but it's pretty forgettable and it just doesn't match the. Yeah, it doesn't match the tone of what had just come beforehand. Yeah, um, I can see why they didn't include it. I thought it was quite a good song, but it doesn't quite fit on the album. And I'm, I quite like that kind of thing. Like as a as a record collector, when a band's got a song from the album sessions that they think strong, but they're also like brave enough not to include it on the album because they feel it doesn't quite fit with the flow. And I feel like that's what may have happened here. It's very commercial sounding so actually it makes a perfect single um and this was released in the uk as a standalone single in november um yeah so again i can see like xl maybe the the record label coming in going let's just hold that off uh you know after the initial push for the album eight months later uh, you've got this kind of like new song dropping um so as a, as yeah. a one-off seven inch single which is pretty cool i think um, yeah. To use another like, Tears for Fears example, it's kind of like uh, the way you are of the horrors back catalogue. Yeah, the whole new world and the way you are. <laughs> um, that's how it is. Um, the other yeah, track the, was other... Uh, "You Could Never Tell." You can never tell, and it's pretty shit. But... <laughs> yeah, it's just a throwaway, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, shame really I have to kind of include it on stuff but I mean it's okay it's alright but it's yeah it's, there's nothing to it you can see why they didn't really do anything with it um, yeah but yeah it was, it was it's okay what did what do you think about it that's it 
it's just a bit of um it's just a bit of fluff really it's just like zippy little guitar song um totally yeah, inconsequential meh. Meh, totally meh. inoffensive um yeah uh so yeah so i mean i have to say it's one of still one of my favorite albums i would say um of of perhaps all time uh i'd go as far as to say that i still enjoy listening to it um but yeah as a, as a newcomer to this album mm. what did what did you think i was really pleasantly surprised um you know as you as i said earlier didn't really have a good idea of what the horrors were what they were about um had made some assumptions based on the kind of scene at the time and their whole aesthetic look um but i was really pleasantly surprised there's you know there's a ton of stuff in here the kind of um influences that i really enjoy like i said all that like kind of 60s um phil specterish kind of stuff psychedelic rock um post-punk shoegazy stuff all those textures lots of hooks it's just a bit of a kind of like big post-punk pop behemoth. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'd recommend it to people if you like the sound of that. There's just tons and tons to enjoy in here. Any high points and low points? Um, for me, I think my favourite songs, you know, I liked those ones that kind of... Um, were a bit discordant, had that nasty edge, a bit of like anger and bitterness. Um, so New Ice Age. Um, and then I'd say, you know, Sea Within the Sea, I think is that epic track with all that stuff going on. I think that's a, that's a high watermark. Yeah. Um, low points? I think some of the, <laughs> the kind of like more jangly, kind of uh, commercial <laughs> those kind of popular songs you know who can say Scarlet Fields are your low points are my low points yeah I mean they're not bad songs they're just um, they're a bit kind of like typical yeah which coincide with my high points <laughs> <laughs> my two favourite favourite songs I'd say probably off the off the album um, yeah Push Came to Shove um yeah, I can. Who, who can say would probably be my favourite? Um, just because I just think it's a really great song. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's um, Scarlet Fields would probably be the only competitor. Really, um, I just think it's just, I just like the melody. Basically, um, well, this bodes well th- for the future of our podcast. Yes, <laughs> we've both. You know, dis- disagreement breeds beautiful things <laughs> um so you know that's that's all we can hope for um low points uh oh god i don't know like the kind of the midsection it feels a bit flabby some at some points in the like about the two-thirds mark like i only think of you and all that yeah that's where it gets a little bit uh lost yeah, some of that, I think, just shave some of that off and, you know, it could have been a bit tighter all round. Yeah, like we said, it's, like, it's nice, but it just keeps them going. You're like, for God's sake, come on, like, just get on with it, Fritzel. Yeah, or just do Fritzel, or just do something um, different. But, um, yeah, well, that's it. That's the horrors, primary colours. Any any other words to add about that? 
I'm going to go back and like, listen to their first album. Yes, that's a good idea. Yeah, I'd say maybe we should do it as another episode, but um, I feel like we're done with that album now. I think we've done justice to it <laughs> over the course of the hours. I think we've just yeah. <laughs> spent <laughs> could have just listened to it. Um, so, yeah, so th- thanks for listening to uh, A New Winter. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, at A New Winter. If you want to say anything about the album, if you thought we were wrong, we were right, or anything like that, then you can email us at newwinterpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at a new winter. Um, you should also go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash a new winter. Cause there's loads of tiers there where you can get involved with, um, lots more stuff. There's premium podcasts and all this, but the main thing is that you're listening. So please do review and rate the podcast on your platform of choice. Um, Dan, where can the guys find you? At Dreadful Discs on Instagram and also Dreadful Discs on YouTube, which is a bit of a new endeavour for me. Um, hopefully going to be kind of uh, picking a few artists and just talking people through my vinyl collection in quite a geeky way. Um, but if you like all that kind of detail around like specific editions or pressings, um, I get quite excited about looking at the packaging and uh, just sort of like bleating on in a kind of geeky way. Yeah, and links to all that stuff will be in the show notes as well. Um, so that's it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And, uh, yeah, but go across the sea. <laughs> <laughs> May the sea fare you well. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.